So the big question is this. How do the best recruiters and recruitment business owners ride the highs and lows of recruitment whilst ensuring they remain at the top? How do they stay consistent? How do they manage their time? How do they cultivate the correct mindset? And what are the best recruiters and recruitment businesses doing differently? These are the questions that all recruiters want to know the answers to. This is the podcast where I have real and honest conversations with some of the most talented recruitment professionals globally to uncover all their secrets. My name is Hisham Azuz. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. My name's Hisham Azuz. Today I'm joined by Kieran Kenny, who is the founder of Zealous Recruitment, and they are a specialist software sales recruitment agency and have been going for just over a year. So uh, been um, a quarter of their life going through battling through COVID. <laughs> been an interesting first 12 months. Yeah. So um, look, really excited to, to have you on, Kieran. And look, where I always like to start on this show is how did Kieran Kenny into the world of recruitment? Let's, let's start there. Um, I think it's something I remember like it was was yesterday I could tell you exactly where I was when I had the phone call I had um, so I'd spent probably three three and a half years in the property space really I guess outgrown where where the potential was I'd heard about recruitment I guess the, the negative connotation that comes with it and I had a guy Ross Bond from Senator in uh, Wilmslow rang me I was uh, sat outside of McDonald's at the time um, stereotypical and uh, <laughs> he said look have you ever really considered recruitment and I guess probably like a lot of people, I was like, no, not something that I've looked into massively. And it's like, look, the, the earning potential at the time, I was probably 19, 20, something like that. Um, and he's like, look, this is this is the, the next big thing. Obviously, it's been around for, for a while, but it's, it's still the, the next big thing. So, yeah, went, went for interview there. Ultimately, came away with probably the same expectation I had beforehand. Um, I mean, when I interviewed there, there was like, it was like a big glass office. There was people pissing about through the window, making faces. The guy interviewed me wasn't taking it very serious. Um, and walked away from recruitment, probably with the same impression I had beforehand. I then had a guy, Ash Knight, a rec to rec, quite well known in Manchester, said, Kieran, look, you need to give us all a second chance. So he had me four or five interviews that I interviewed with half of Manchester got rejected I just couldn't could not get a job um what why I think I'd been very very successful where I was in property I held every company record um how was I mean I was like 19 20 I haven't bought a house have been very very successful and I guess I probably had a bit of an ego um thought I was the next big thing and really had I achieved that much probably not so yeah got rejected by four or five companies saying Kieran you'd probably set our office if you came in here bull and really? China shop so really really struggled so ended up going into investments uh, property investments so stayed within the sector I was in um, and then I had a, a friend of a friend just being placed 
by uh, a rec to rec, a good friend of his at the time, a guy called Harrison Scott in Manchester, who then went on to be my boss. Um, he was uh, business partners with Sean McCleary, owner of Insight Recruitment in Manchester. He said, Kira, come on, look, we'll give you kind of one last shot. So I went to an interview there and, yeah, got the job, took like a massive pay cut. I'd been earning a fortune. And I went and took 18 grand um, there when I'd been earning 50,000, 60,000. Why, why did you do that? I was desperate to get in recruitment. Really? I'd hit the ceiling of where I was. I was desperate to get in recruitment. Everyone was selling me the dream, but no one would come and let me live the dream. So, um, <laughs> yeah, those, those guys fin- finally took took a punt on me. Went and uh, so yeah, ended ended up working there for as my my first job. But it was, I mean, it took me probably 12, 14 months to get into recruitment for someone to finally take a punt on me. And fortunately, those guys uh, finally gave me the chance I was waiting for. Okay, so just just for everyone listening. The context is that so you ended up working at Insight for just over a year, then transitioned into Strive Sales, um, and and then obviously after that started Zealous, right? Yeah, so I I did fourteen months or so um, with Insight. Obviously built built up fairly fairly quickly. Had a guy in our office, obviously Harrison, who was was a rec to rec, obviously business partner of Sean, but was doing rec to rec at the time. Was doing the the enterprise sales space where the fees were mind blowing. Um, obviously he was in our office. I, I mean I was seeing him banging up twenty thirty grand fees in the board, whereas. The average IT recruitment fee in Manchester is probably five, six, seven, eight thousand. So, yeah, saw, saw saw the starry lights. Went there for I think I was only there six weeks, and I was out of the startup environment. I had a guy in the office who, an old friend of mine, a story I'm sure will come on to, was pushing me saying, "You know, why don't we set up?" And I thought, "Well, I'm at a startup now." I might as well go and try and try and give it a go on my own. So, did 14 months with Insight six weeks with uh, Strive and then, yes, yeah, set up on my own probably at the time, very, very out of my depth. Still still figuring it out to this day. Uh, but yeah, I had a, quite a quick transition from joining the industry to actually going on my own. Where did, where did that confidence come from then, Kieran? Because I think a lot of people have those conversations, right? Kieran, I think we should we should set up on our own. Let, let's do it. Like There's a lot of talk, but I think a lot of people don't don't take the plunge. So having having worked in the industry for yeah fourteen months, where do you think that confidence came from? So I mean, I I was fairly successful um, in the site. I think I did. Unless someone wants to disagree with me, but I think as far as I can remember, I was the top biller in the company in year one, in the whole company um, with with no experience on a cold contract desk from scratch. So I was like, well, look, I can, I can clearly perform. Um, I think that the guy who ended up probably pushing me had just been to a Tony Robbins um, <laughs> big, big seminar with his, with his dad, and he'd come away like, okay, we need to, we need to start up. And look, I was all everyone who I've ever worked with knew I would go on my own at some point. I wasn't sure what I would do and where I would do it, but I was always going to open my own business and. I think that was kind of the final push. I was a bit like, mate, we're not quite ready yet. We're probably not. It was like, Kieran, we can make it work. We can make it work. So he was probably the one that ended up pushing me to, for us to go on our own, um, which again, I'm sure a story we might come on to. But I think, look, seeing that I could deliver results, um, realistically, I think that one of the big decided factors was being the, the number one revenue generator in um, 
in year one, I was like, is there really anyone here I can learn from? Who can I look up to? That was the biggest thing. And it was like, well, do I go and work for someone else and then realistically commit another two or three years to learning from someone else? So do I go and try on my own was probably the deciding factor. And the pull of trying on my own was bigger than going to try somewhere else. That's interesting. I think I've heard that a lot. It's, 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 it's a difficult position to be in, isn't it? When you feel like who 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 can I inspire to be or who can I learn from? There, there will be people around me that you can learn from, but in terms of if you feel like there's no one that you can look up to, that, that can be quite difficult, can't it? My, my ethos has always been the same. Learn from the best, learn from the worst. So copy what the best do and adapt and avoid what the worst do. And I think you can learn from everyone. doesn't matter how good someone is, whether they're the worst performer in the office, look at what's going wrong for them and make sure you avoid that or look at the top performer and work out what's what's going really well for them. And I think the guy, there's a guy, Jack Leeming, who was probably the top guy at the time at Insight. Um, I can't remember the exact numbers he was doing. They weren't, I think, they, I mean, they weren't spectacular. I know he's gone on to do some, after I left, he went on to, to achieve some great, great results. I think he'd got to a stage where he'd built his desk and, one of the things I worked on was building a great foundation. I mean, he worked on the basics of make sure your candidates in the right place, you know what you're doing, coming with a plan every day. And I think that's something that I took a lot from of, okay, he's the top guy. Of course, at the time, the numbers, of course, weren't phenomenal. Um, and I know that the foundation he put in place, he went on to, to do some great stuff with the, the year after I left. But I think it was about, look, that's the best that we've got right now and, and take some of the things that he's doing and then look at some of the people that aren't working out because you, look, I think you have to learn from everyone. You have yeah. to be a sponge. And there's something you can take from everyone no matter what numbers they're putting on the board ultimately. Yeah, I, I agree. So you started this business on your own? So, yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was supposed to go into business with another guy. I mean, he was due to, so I left Strive. He was due to leave Insight, where we were both working, the month after. He was do, doing really, really well, actually. A friend, I'd known him kind of years, friend of a friend more than anything, came to work with us Insight. Um, and he, obviously, he, he was due to leave the month after me. He had a, like a, a big, big month. I can't remember the numbers, but they were, yeah, big commission. Worth staying for. Yeah, big commission check. And uh, so he came, we were due to set up on the Monday, 1st of July, so about a year ago. We were going to work from my house, just two young lads. Obviously, we'd know each other a while kind of indirectly. And he came on day one and um, he was like, I don't know if we can do it. I was like, we've both left our jobs. Like, we're going to have to go. We're here now. And one of the things... Um, ultimately I know that there was a lot I don't know exactly what was said but in the office was you two are both out of your depth you'll both fail there's no way it'll work like what are you both doing and obviously I it got in his head ultimately he was like look I don't know if we can do it and I was like look times are only going to get harder than this if we don't work out in three six months if day one when it should be exciting if that's where you're ready to kind of walk away then ultimately it's not probably not for you so a shame really if he was a good a good friend at the time, can't say we still speak now, but uh, <laughs> That's he, he was he was he was the one who pushed me to go, which I'm forever grateful for. He was the one who ended up pushing me to go. And but I mean that's one of the biggest things I would say, and maybe something we'll touch on later for, for tips is if you are thinking about setting up, in hindsight, I would have done everything to, to keep hold of him. Um I think one of the biggest why why why? 
it's so tough mentally sitting on your own with the pressure. I mean, recruitment's an industry known for rejection anyway. So to sit all day on your own, I mean, you have your best successes, no one to celebrate with. You have your worst days, no one to pick you up. You're trying to make strategic decisions in a business that in a situation you've never been in before, having that person to bounce ideas off is invaluable in my opinion. And again, probably one of the biggest things I would, would recommend if anyone's going is is look at finding if you do it with. Yeah. How 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 did you like how did you feel then? Like you like at those sort of first that first month or so. So you're like, well, I'm here now, I'm gonna have to do it. I'm doing it on my own. Like how how what was what like how did you feel? If anything, I guess what some of that fire came from, I was like, who who do these guys in the previous office think they are talking around how we're definitely gonna fail? I was like, I'm always one of those guys, you tell me I'll fail, I'll succeed ten times over. I've never I've never I'm fortunate, I've never failed anything. I've never failed. And I think that comes down to mindset. I was like, at the end of the day, I'm here now. I'm going to do everything I can humanly possible to make this business succeed. And I'll succeed 10 times over, more than any of you at my previous company have done. And that was the biggest driver for me because it's, that's, a, that's a dark place to be. You, you're supposed to set up. Yeah, you, you set up with someone. You're ready to go. It should, I mean, we, we were both like 22-year-old lads should have been the most exciting time of our life and it turned out being like oh right okay i'm on my own let's so by then i was too deep i was um i was in too deep i thought i can't turn around let's go so off off i went with a with a phone a linkedin account and started what yeah what was the plan so what was the, what was the plan then so as obviously intro as it says specialist software sales i'm assuming sort of getting that um obviously that perspective at strive sort of led you think well actually there there's a, a good market here potentially but what what was what was the plan then what was the i don't know did you have a plan like what 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 was what was, the plan? was was i guess the, the plan was so the guy who i was working with was doing software easy four five six grand deals so the plan was i look i will try and open the software sales space and he will continue doing technical he'll keep us alive while i build on some of these bigger relationships that was the plan for, for him to keep us alive. The, the, the plan then, so I was recruiting in Amsterdam at the time because when I joined Strive, they said, Where, what country do you want to recruit? Obviously, young lad, I thought, Amsterdam, that'd be pretty cool to do. So um, they had a, an employment contract that meant I couldn't really do business in Amsterdam. So we, I looked at doing business in the UK. Now, the reason being and for invoice factoring and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, effectively, you can sell your invoice so... You have an invoice, say it's 10 grand, you can sell it to a factoring business for nine, they'll pay you up front and they take the 10 grand and make a thousand pounds on it. So I thought, well, I'll do the UK, that'll be how I can get easy money in because they'll pay me up front on my invoices when I make the placement and then when it gets paid, ultimately I have to give it to them. So started operating in the UK, uh, I thought that'd be the easiest way to get cash in the bank quick. That didn't really work out, the UK was very, very competitive, so kind of a month in, I'm sat there, I'm thinking, right. Plan A, plan B has gone out the window. So I did a bit of a survey of, look, with the hiring manager I work with, where do you struggle to find people? And, and time and time again, they said Germany. So I thought, right, okay. UK, probably not working out for me. Amsterdam, I can't turn to. I haven't got the backup plan of someone doing technical recruitment. I'll go in Germany, all in, commit six months, see, see where I go. So I kind of give myself, so I had enough money to stay alive for six months. If it didn't work out, then I had to, I guess, go and get go and get another job. 
So, yeah, I went through a couple of plans, settled on Germany, and never. How did you plan to? How did you plan to crack Germany then? What was the? Obviously, you had to get clients. So, what was it? Just straight up, just cold calling businesses in Germany. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing for me is that the cold call is not dead. I love bashing the phone. I, it, first, I do in the morning. I come in, I hit the phone. So I just hit the phone and start dialing. Do you need staff next? Do you need any staff next? And <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty like basic plan at the time. Uh, it's not our BD now, but it's just find managers, find people, hit the phone, ask if they want any staff. If they don't, great, move on. It was like door-to-door selling on the phone. And and I picked, luckily, I picked up a couple of clients um, from that. That gave me enough to do one or two placements and take it. How long does it take to do your first deal? So I did my first deal in October. Obviously, I set up in July. July, I just dossed around in a couple of different countries. So really, I started in August and did the first placement in October, which is a lot quicker than I expected, in all honesty. What... What helps to like still though, right? That doubts could have been cre- creeping in, right? Because what August to October, it's a couple of months there where you you made zero. So what when 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 you blanked essentially when you wasn't putting any money on the board, it was just you. What 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 made you push through that? I think a the realization though that the market we operate in. I mean, you've got six seven stage interviews, so it's never going to happen overnight. The companies we're working with are multi, multinationals, some of the hottest companies on the planet. It's not going to happen overnight. So I knew the market I was operating in. And that's why plan A was to have someone topping us up with easy deals in the soft, software development space. Where well, well, the cycle's like not as long, basically. Yeah, where you can, you can get a job on a Monday and fill it in two weeks. That would never happen. I mean, it's realistically job to fillings minimum four to eight weeks in, in the space I'm operating now. So I think the, the expectation that I wouldn't do a deal for a couple of months was the biggest thing. And I think that's realistic. And that comes back to for when a lot of people get into recruitment, have realistic expectations. It's not always going to happen overnight. And I think that's been my, my kind of ethos in life is anything worth having is not going to come easy. And knowing that it could take me some time to get the results is what kept me going. Mm, okay, that, that's interesting. How did it feel to do your first deal then? I, 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 look, I guess the, the biggest thing is, yeah, it felt great. But that's another point that you're on your own. You've got no one to celebrate with. I've always been an office guy. Um, anyone will tell you I've always been an office guy. And to do that deal, I was like, yes. Oh, right. No, one really. <laughs> no, I've experienced that. It's a weird feeling, isn't it? So, look, I mean, it was a huge, huge relief, huge, huge relief because it meant I could stay alive for another couple of months. And that was the biggest plan for me in the first 12 months. Stay alive, still exist in 12 months' time. So that, that first one was like, right, I can do it. Because I'd never made a placement in this market before. When I was at Strive, I was there six weeks. I signed a, quite a few good clients, but never enough time to do a deal. I'd only, I was a contract biller. I'd only ever done one perm, one perm placement. So it was like, right, great, I've done it. I think the biggest thing was prove it to myself I could do it because it's something I'd, just, I'd never placed in this market and only ever done one, one perm placement before. So, mm. yeah, it was, uh, it was a nice feeling. What, what did you have any sort of, what was your like personal network like? Because I think that's, that's what's really helped me. I really relate with that in terms of, yeah, used to having a team of people to celebrate with. But for me, I've had to share those wins with my girlfriend, my friends, 
family sometimes and, and that's given me a bit of that but it's, it's definitely not the same but like was it just Kieran Kenny smashing out in his bedroom like what yeah, yeah I mean, as then, got, what was your support network like so I've got obviously a couple a couple of people I um I used to work with I still speak to on like a, a daily a daily basis and um, yeah look at I mean at the, t- at the time I was single um chasing someone else's um girlfriend um <laughs> yeah right. Uh, so I was, I was chasing someone else's girlfriend with no no real financial backing to be doing so. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, I've always been like a family guy, very very close to my parents. My dad's an enterprise sales guy, the same as what I recruit for. Um, oh really? So yeah, in, interestingly. Um, so look, I think I, I had a couple of good friends, but I'm one of those guys that have a lot of associates, not many friends, because I've always been a a work guy my career my life comes over socializing where's that where's that come from i've always been very very driven i mean when when i was like eight nine i had like a paper round where i'd give up a saturday so i mean i started my career doing a paper round i'd get up at seven on a saturday and sunday to earn three pound fifty on a saturday three pound fifty on a sunday so i'd give all my lions up for seven pounds on a weekend I've just always been a work and a naturally motivated guy. Um, so it's just something that I think has always been drilled and instilled into me. The work ethic and work is everything. So, yeah, coming back to the question about personal network, not huge. Obviously, I had a couple of people I celebrated with, but I think it was like, that was like relief, move move on and keep going. Yeah, because that's hard, that, right? I'll, I'll respect that. that that's fair. Um, so, obviously... Great feeling, obviously, com- big confidence booster as well, as you said, like just real, you knew in your head that you could do it, but sort of getting that, it's just, it's that realisation, yeah, I definitely can do this, made a placement and it's now, let, let, let's let push forward. So I guess, what what did you learn through that, that maybe you sort of change your plan or just change your approach? I don't know, did you then sort of try and do more of the things that work to get to that point? What what sort of slight changes did you make to to push on? I think probably one of the biggest understandings is the difference between the perm and contract market because contract is very much skilled. Can you come in and deliver a project? You're not a long-term part of our business. It's a short, a short-term fix and a, a client will pay for a skill set. Whereas I think I probably realized the first candidate I've placed, I on paper was questioning, I didn't think he was the, the strongest candidate. But the cultural fit was right. The drive of the candidate was right. I think one of the biggest learning points was what someone looks for in a perm employee to a contract employee is very, very different. Different, yeah. That's one of the things I learned from my first placement. My first couple of placements is the difference between that perm and contract balance was probably one of the biggest learning curves I had, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. That's interesting. What about then... The business development angle, like, was it just carrying on just smashing the phones or did you change your approach there? Because I think that that's the part that a lot of people, when they make the plunge, are most worried about, right, is is winning business, winning new clients. Obviously, you just smashed it out, got on the phone, but did you then sort of change tact in terms of made a placement with this client, I need to be working with more businesses like this, or what? did you change anything or learn anything? So, obviously, I was going to do enterprise sales um, in Germany. So it was any any software. I think one of the things, though, historically, and something that worked very, very well is just specking out CVs. 
get a great CV, send it to 100 managers and some, someone is, if it's a proper, a proper good CV, then someone will probably buy it. I think one of the things that probably changed a little was I went only into cybersecurity then. So I was fine. Or niche down even more. Yeah, so I went enterprise, so only enterprise, only software sales, and only cybersecurity. So become a real, real expert. And I said, Why? I think if you haven't got that USP, because I mean, I was banging the phone at first, speaking to loads of people, and I had no real USP. I had no strength. It was like, there's loads of people doing what you're doing, Kieran. You've got no track record, no strength. Why would we work with you? And look, I always think of myself as a good guy on the phone. I'd, I'd back myself against most people. But without a real USP, it's very it's very difficult to leverage what you've got. So I think I really drilled down to, right, okay, I'll, I've made a placement in security. I'm going to focus on that market. So that, then um, I started, I, obviously, I went back from bashing the phone to sending out some CVs. And, and it, that worked again for me. I had a big... Probably my biggest client today, a massive multinational business, probably one of the, the best security vendors of the 21st century. I had the internet recruiter call me. And at the time, I didn't know if it was a candidate or if it was a client or who it was. I just had, they said, it. hi, I'm X from Y company. Um, I was like, hello? So I was a bit like stumped and, and she was like, You've been sent, it was, a, it was a head of internal recruitment for Jerry. She said, can you send my manager that many CVs? I'm actually a bit sick of it. She was like, it's easier just to work with you. So, uh, <laughs> so I had success in the early stages from just A, cold phone bashing and B, sending out CVs. And for anyone looking to improve at business development, you have to have a range of, you can't go to market with one strategy. You need yeah. to do multiple. And then I had a bit of a light bulb moment. I think, I can't remember when it was, November, December, when you had Jamie Francis on the podcast, which for anyone who hasn't listened to is far and above the best episode that has ever oh, what, uh, uh, Jamie Fraser. Sorry. Yeah, Jamie Fraser, Jamie yeah. Fraser, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I hope he doesn't listen to that. But, uh, no, that's okay, mate. But, but far and above the best episode that, that has ever been. And one of the things really struck me because I had never worked with a top, top biller before was he said, look, when I business develop, I call with purpose. I know what I've done. I know what I can achieve. I know why the companies. And I think rather than just call calling, I started to call with a much more of a purpose. What have I done? What's the use case? How can I help you? And why should you work with me? And I think around December time, I really started to change. And that's when I saw a lot better results. I was calling with a real purpose. I wasn't just calling, hi, I'm Kieran. Have you got any jobs? Like, I, There's millions of people doing that. How did you change it? I think I looked at where I'd had success. What use cases did I have? Um, to I solve the security, which is which helped. Yeah, yeah. So I, I looked at my real speciality and called with a... And knowing that if they answered the phone, I can genuinely help them. And I have a real strong USP, a real strong talent pool that I've built up, a real strong expertise where not only am I helping you find staff, I can advise you on the market. What should you be paying? Where should you be looking? Who are your competition? And I think listening to that podcast gave me a real different perspective on the business development because it gave me a real, this is who I am. This is why you should work with me. It meant I was calling with a complete different purpose i wasn't calling asking someone to work with me anymore i was calling someone telling them why they should work with me and that was a real, real and, that, and it's really weird that because it when you really believe that and it comes across on the phone doesn't it and yeah 100 100 100 it doesn't matter where you are what you are selling if you don't believe in your product you will never get anywhere 
Yeah. I've always believed when I was in property, I believed I worked for the best estate agency in the country. I just believed that. When I was selling media, I just believed we had the best product. And if you believe in the product, but then I went back to start my own business, like, do I really believe in what I've got now? And that's why I had to find that USP. So I had something that I truly believed in and I had zero doubt in. Mm, no, I, I love that sort of journey you went on there. And that's really interesting. How did you go about, how did you go about sort of really learning about your USP in terms of, so you place this guy or person, sorry. And then like, what, like, how did you go about learning about this market? Was it just speak to as many candidates as possible, get really curious, do your research? Cause it's something that people are always interested in. How can I open up new markets? Blah, blah, blah. So like when you recognize, well, I need a USP, this is sort of where I'm going to go down. Like, how did you go about really learning that market that, clearly helps with the business development and those things what was the sort of plan there i mean the, the, the easiest way to put it was i didn't have a fucking clue uh, <laughs> exactly. the easiest way. and and, and, I, and I, that's how obviously i've got a new guys recently started me i've said look you need to ask questions get on the phone you need a piece of knowledge from every call take a bit of information from every call use it on the next one then get another piece of knowledge. Start talking around it and build yourself almost like a dictionary. So I've I've built like an office dictionary with all the different phrases because you have three or four phrases, you sound 10 times more credible. The candidate isn't testing you. If you're recruiting salespeople in cybersecurity, they're not going to test you. What do you know about cybersecurity? If you're recruiting .NET developers, they don't want to know what you know about .NET. But if you've got three or four phrases that you can build up and you can build up your own little dictionary or your own little knowledge pool, you can soon start to piece it together. And it's, say, for example, you're building a jigsaw puzzle. You get all the edge bits because they're the easiest bits. Then you start to fill the middle in and you start to build. And it's the center is the last bit you often build. And, And you need to work from the high level knowledge. Okay, this is what I know. This is what I can find out. And then start speaking to candidates, but it's not just knowledge about the products that they are working on, the product they're selling or the platform. It's knowledge about that market. What, what have you heard? What piece of news have you heard that you can share? And that's one of the biggest things is ask, ask the candidates, what's happening in the market? What's the hottest thing right now in your world? And start to use that knowledge, Google it, research it, and really drill down. But also it comes to the candidates. Find two or three bits of knowledge, use that in your calls, get a bit more knowledge and write down anything that you think could be key, write it down. Yeah, I really like that. At some point, that'll pop up in a conversation. You'll be like, oh, I've got something written down about that. And it just gives you a lot more credibility, I think. Yeah, no, I really, I think that's really smart. Office dictionary, your market dictionary, I love that. That's, That's a great piece of advice. And I think where some people sort of stump themselves on that is sometimes you... I think recruiters, when I work with them and things, when I'm talking to them about building their brand and all that, is they sometimes feel like they have to be as competent as the people that they place, but you're never going to be as competent as they are, right? Which is what you're talking about. But what 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 you do need to know is what's going on in the market, talking about like making sure that you understand their language. And yeah, like I really like how you, how you put that. That's really interesting. Like when I, when I was obviously recruiting within IT, I, I set up an event, like a data analytics event in Manchester. And I was like, look, I, I want to get involved in this market. I want to have a passion about it. I want to see incredible. And I set up, set up the event with no real knowledge, but it meant that because it was my event, I could ask questions that maybe I couldn't have done before. 
I could find that knowledge that people wouldn't have given me. And you've, you've got to give 110% into your market. You've got to do the research. I mean, look, I don't believe in all these recruiters now who are going out and trying to code and all that. I think that's bullshit, personally. I'm not into going to that level because realistically, realistic, are you ever going to need to code? How is that helping you? I, I think your time could be better spent just researching. And I think time could be better spent just building knowledge because, yeah, it's great being able to code. Do I think it's worth the time? Personally, no. Um, but having things like an event, that gives you, you credibility. I know that there's a guy in Manchester, a guy called Toby Wilman, who's now with Infinity Works, who's with Mortimer Spinks. He had this DevOps event in Manchester. And I remember going to him and thinking, like, wow, he's got 100 developers coming to see him once a month, not about work. And it was like, that, again, another light bulb moment. Like, I need to, this, I need to be doing this in my yeah. market. Mm. And it's about being able to give back because the coding in that obviously is great, but it's not giving anything back. Yeah. The, event, the events, you're giving back to people, you're building credibility, you're being able to talk to them outside of work. And I think researching your market and knowing your market inside now is massively, massively important. And I'm always a believer of you, you, you aren't successful through luck. You choose to be successful. Yeah. You choose to be a failure. And I think if you go above and beyond, you can choose to be successful, is my philosophy. So had some some really good learnings on working out what your value proposition is, USP, business development, and all those things. So what about so I'm assuming from that point onwards, yeah, start to have more success. But what about the actual German market then? Like, how difficult was that to get in? Like, did because I, I think I saw a couple of your posts about going over there. What what did you have to learn on that front in terms of how they operate, the German culture, what it's like to work for a German business? How did you? Because uh, look, I think again, some people I never I always worked to market in the UK, um, and I think again a lot of people can assume that people in Germany aren't going to want to speak to to Kieran in wherever you are, Wilmslow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, because that—that's something that you could also get in your head and have that self-talk, right? Like, how was how was that journey? I think that's a, again a big, big learning curve because obviously I was recruiting in Amsterdam, where I mean they speak perfect English in Amsterdam. Like, you could be speaking to your mate down the pub. Yeah. Moving into Germany, one of the things you'll find is the Germans aren't a huge fan of English headhunters. Um, they don't want to speak to you. And that's, that's one of the things where it comes back to you choose to be successful or not. Because in Germany, they don't really want to speak to you. Um, it's, I guess a lot similar to the UK. But I had to adapt and work out what made these guys tick. Um, I went over, I mean, I go to Germany once a month. I go and meet these guys. I understand the different culture. And you, you've just got to speak to a lot of people work out i mean at first i was trying to have like banter with them on the phone and, and realized like they haven't got a clue what i'm saying like <laughs> banter like i'd be laughing like <laughs> and you'd just be met with like dead silence because yeah. so you have to work out and look there's loads of businesses now recruiting businesses operating in germany because the culture the culture is something that you learn the language barrier is not something that's massive i mean whenever anyone says to me kieran there must be a huge language barrier. There's not. There's just not. 
Um, so realistically, as long as you, it's like everything at the end of the day, if I go from being a state agent to, I was recruiting database developers, that's the same cultural difference. I've got to learn a lot of them are introvert. They're not like me. It's exactly the same as learning about if you're recruiting engineers, learn about their culture. Just because I'm recruiting in Germany, it's no different to having to learn the culture of your candidates in the UK personally. Yeah, and, and how how have you dealt with, I don't know, have you have you been battered back with, well, can we want to work with people that sort of operate in Germany? I don't know, have you ever sort of had to bat that back or objection handle that you're based in the UK, somewhere up north, rather than, I don't know, have you ever had to sort of bat that yeah. back? Yeah, I mean that's definitely something that that comes with with the territory. Um, but I think it's it's quite well known in the market that the German headhunters are aren't great. They often have German based companies. The UK headhunters have a much more pristine, probably isn't the prestige is probably the right word reputation because we're aggressive, we business development more, we have better companies. Yeah, we're probably quite annoying and we are probably quite aggressive. I mean, we I get that feedback about a lot of headhunters. I, I get that feedback myself personally, but the UK headhunter is often a lot more advanced than, than the German ones in, in my experience. And look, I don't want to just make a sweeping statement, but that's oh, yeah, I've been, I've been given the feedback a lot of the English headhunters have better opportunities. So they're reluctant to speak to us, but often the UK headhunters have much better companies they are working with. What would you say is the main difference? How would you describe the difference between headhunter and recruitment consultant? That's, that's a question I ask, <laughs> ask, ask, ask myself a lot. Uh, the question I ask myself. Just you're, yeah, I kept using the headhunter there, so I was just interested. I, th- I think, to be honest, for me personally, I'm probably a recruiter, not a headhunter. Uh, for me, a headhunter is probably someone who works on a retained basis and has a list of candidates a company wants. I'm probably a recruiter. It's just headhunters used more in Europe. Okay. The, the word headhunters used more. Yeah. If you actually look at the definition of headhunter, it, as I say, it's probably somebody who works on a retained basis and works in very, very niche roles. That's probably probably not me, uh, but it's just the, the terminology in Germany is often headhunter. That's fair enough. So what went on, I guess, I guess so December had a bit of realisation, really felt like you was then doing business development with a purpose that massively helped. Let, let's talk about um, the last couple of months then. What what's, what's, I mean, so I'm assuming then you felt, you would have felt like going into... Obviously, this year, 2020, it's my year. Um, built, obviously, yeah, had a few realizations, building a bit of momentum. Like, what went on? Where was you before coronavirus hit? Like, was you in a good spot? Was you feeling good about things? So, was, on, was on top of the world. <laughs> um, and then it was, I guess, slightly frustrating because I was speaking to a lot of friends um, in the UK and they're like, here in the markets, ground to halt, ground to halt. Obviously, Germany dealt with things pretty well. So I was like, business as usual for me, lads, cheers for coming. And uh, all, all of a sudden it was like, came to a, because the UK gradually came to a halt. Yeah. Because Germany didn't really slow down and then all of a sudden stopped. I mean, in March, I think I ha- I lost eighty thousand euros of business. Really? Um, Let's you. Just, how how did you deal with that mentally, mate? Because it's it's you, it's your business, like small business. What? How how did you deal with that? How did you take that on the chin? It's very very difficult, and it's not like I'm thirty, forty, being there. And obviously, I've never really failed before. Um, 
I mean, I was being 20, 23 as I have to think there, 23 as I am, never really failed before. It's hard. It's definitely hard to take because it's not something I've ever dealt with that level of, I wouldn't call it failure or, or even rejection, but that level of mental toughness, I think you've just got to look and you've got to look at the positives. One of the, the biggest things that I always look at and I always say to any new starter is at the end of the daily, make a list of your wins. At the end of the week, look back what have you won throughout the week? You've got to look at the much smaller wins. What pipeline have you got? What can you generate? And I just had to look at, right, well, okay, the, the revenue is going to drop off. What can, what can I do now to still put me in a strong position when all this comes to an end? And I think, look, any setback, if you let any setback really hit you hard, then you're always going to be taking a step back. I think you just got to power through. Of course, it's a very, very bitter pill to swallow. And going through that in year one of businesses, it might have been in 2008 again. But ultimately, you've got to look at the positives, right? What can I do now over the next two or three months? What are the smaller tasks? Where can I build relationships? And a big thing I worked on was everyone in Manchester. I mean, I personally found it frightening how tight clearly a lot of recruitment companies run on Manchester in terms of cash flow and what money they've got in the bank. Because all of a sudden, 95% of the Manchester recruitment market or the recruitment market in whole seemed to be on furlough. And I was like, right, great. These managers aren't getting battered by calls. Gives me a chance now to business develop with 5% competition instead of 100%. And I think you have to look at, in, in the face of any challenge, you have to look at the positives of what can you take out of this. And I, I very much thought, right, okay, I've lost revenue. Pipeline's going to drop. I'm going to struggle for a couple of months. What can I do to ensure? And I just had to keep the positive mindset. What can I do now over the next couple of months to make sure I'm still in a strong position? When so I what, what did you end up focusing on then? Very much speaking, speaking to clients. How can how can I help? Where does the growth come from? What are the challenges going to be? Is there maybe a position where I can help you in supporting you, sharing market information? And really just taking the chance to speak to clients uh, not about work. Taking the chance to speak to say, look, I know the difficulties you're going to go through. I know the challenges you're going to go through. What can I do to make your life easier? Which, as a recruiter, realistically, not a lot. But going in with the right mindset and having the right reason for the call is, di- is a lot different than hi, I'm Kieran, this is how I work with this way you should work with me. It's a completely different call and it, it gave me the chance to have some conversations I probably wouldn't have been able to have. And how, how do you think that might, how do you think that's going to help you moving, like, I don't know, what's, how I mean, do you think I've that's got, you so far? Obviously, I've got a lot of people um, now that haven't been getting battered with calls. So when they do next hire, I know they will use me because I've been speaking with them throughout lockdown where everyone else has been on furlough. So I've been able to build some relationships because I've been able to have time that I wouldn't often have had. So the calls I have had have meant I've got a lot of pipeline. Like, I mean, I've got a hell of a lot of pipeline. Come, come August, end of August, the, the market will be frighteningly busy for me. And that's, I guess, kind of thanks to coronavirus because it's given me the chance to have those conversations and, and business develop without much real competition. Yeah. So what? one of the things that... Um, I jotted down before we spoke. Obviously, you shared like a sort of year in business article, which I thought was really interesting. Just giving your sort of tips on anyone that's considering the plunge. What, what the, the first bullet point you put is is about building a good foundation. So I guess yeah, obviously being in business for a year, and and this has come up a lot because it's not the typical things that 
you probably thought about when you was day one with your mate, right? Building a good foundation, all that, right? So why 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 was that sort of point one and why is that really important and what's been your learning on that? Because I think that's really useful for people. I think you need to have a good foundation because you want, even if it's software, you want a support network around you. You don't want everything sat on your shoulders. Get a proper CRM system. So when you have jobs, you can find the right candidates. You can track the notes. Get a proper phone system. Don't just work off your mobile where you haven't got numbers saved or your mobile bill might be through the roof. Get a proper accountant. I've never done accounts. An accountant isn't hugely expensive, but will save. I mean, they're worth their weight in gold because ultimately they will advise you where you can save money or what you can spend or how to track things. Get a proper like Lee, I had a legal advisor whenever I had a problem about terms. I mean, I'd never signed a set of terms before. So when people were saying, I can't sign your terms, you need to sign mine. I was like, can I sign this? And all questions that you will never have had before. Well, you may have done if you've been in recruitment or a senior position in business before, but I hadn't is surround yourself with people you can turn to all the time because I didn't have the answers to 70, 80% of things. And I needed the answers. So surround yourself with good software that will support you, make your life easy. It's stressful enough without having to scramble around on an Excel sheet trying to find a candidate you spoke to three months ago. So take take as much weight off your shoulders as you can do. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about that that's come up a lot is, yeah, you're having the mindset of, look, I should have these things now rather than wait until I've got to a certain point that warrants me getting a CRM or whatever. And time and time again, when I've spoken to business owners that have successfully scaled, they're thinking two, three, four years ahead. Like, I need this now because I know in two years' time I'm going to be here and that, that's, I need to have that. Um, also, on that point, you put yourself around, surround yourself with, with mentors. Yeah, I think, I think that's big. I mean, I, I ended up meeting another guy who's in my office block, um, also does recruitment, helped me kind of massively. Um, he helped me when I was hiring, helped me with interview tips, helped me with what to expect, helped me with, look, these are some of the problems I'm having with like software, what to expect, how to put training in place, how to like scale the business. Uh, a guy who helped me massively, um, and I've ended up being in kind of like a small recruitment network we set up ourselves, just me and a, a couple of other guys, that where we can bounce ideas off. Because when you're having a tough, like even now we'll talk about if we've got a small win, we might share it between each other. Uh, and having that network of people to ask when things are, not necessarily going wrong, but aren't going right. I think just just for reassurance as well, because I think if you have a strategy, you have to stick to it for a fair amount of time. You can't just change the goalposts immediately. And I think that's massively important to have people you can ask, do you think I'm doing the right thing? Do you think I should change it? Because especially being a, a kind of a one-man business owner, naturally, if something doesn't work immediately, I'm going to question, is that the right thing? And I think being able to... Ask, and that's why I'd say going to business as well with someone else, being able to bounce ideas off. But having mentors around you who've done it, been there before, people to ask is absolutely invaluable. Mm, and and that, did that just happen quite organically? Yeah, happened. I met, met him in the office at a Macmillan cake morning or something like that. <laughs> ended, ended, ended up uh, sharing a muffin with him. and uh, Well, not sharing one muffin, obviously, but uh, ended, ended, ended up kind of just taking it from there and really kind of, I guess, building like a, a friendship from there and ended up... Uh, yeah, to where it kind of is today. So 
Look, as we come to the end of this, Kieran, just something that's coming up for me that would be interesting to get your thoughts on is how have you, how have you, because I think, I'd like to think, I'm just assuming here that you may have gone through this, but as you said, 23 years old, only in recruitment business, a lot of people have a self-doubt and attach their age to not having enough experience. Am I good enough to be doing this? Have I got enough experience? Have you had to deal with that? I don't know, because I think a lot of people, again, your age, may think, now I'll wait. So, like, I don't know, have you had to deal with those thoughts or had to overcome that a bit? What do you think about that? I guess, look, the, the, the black and white answer is no. I've always, always believed in myself. And I've always had that work ethic. I mean, I see recruitment to a lot different to a lot of other people. Everyone these days, they want working from home. They want flexible work and they want office beanbags and all that shit. That's not how I run my business. I mean, I started in a business PH Media Group in Manchester. It's known as like the, the ruthless outbound call like call centre. And I wanted my business to have that same work ethic where you you don't doubt yourself. And I've always said, and look, obviously, when I changed plans at the start of the business is is not exactly like a plan. I don't ever have a plan B because if you have a plan B, you have an ounce of doubt that plan A will fail. And and my business is set up now where we are relentless we work hard and success is the only option. I think if you have any self-doubt, probably an unpopular opinion, walk away. If you don't back yourself 100%, walk away. Because for me, in my head, there is no option to fail. And yeah, of course, being young, there's, there's things that come into your mind, but doubt or thinking about failure, absolutely not. And that's what I want to give the platform to all of my team now you come in work and success is the only option. And that's why I say, said earlier is success is an option and a choice. Success doesn't happen. Success is a choice. And for me, was I ever going to, to fail or did I have that doubt? The black and white answer is no. What, what just out of interest, what, what do you deem as success? That's a very, very good point because I mentioned it in the recent article of mine. Success, I spent a long time thinking success was a place or success was a feeling. Yeah. Success, is, success is a process of achieving things. Success is a journey. And I mean, our tagline here is the, the relentless pursuit of success. Because success, you, you, for me, you don't succeed. You are successful. Success, I saw a quote, success is never owned. Success is rented and the rent is due every single day. And it's something that I live by. Success is having wins. What have you achieved? Are you in a stronger position now than you were yesterday? Are you in a better position now than you were last week? Are you in a better position than you were last month? And I think that is something that's massively important. I think success you get from hard work. Hard work and commitment to the cause. And I mean, th three of the things that, that we live and die by is commitment, personal drive, and execution. And they all amount to success. Are you committed to the cause and will you do whatever it takes? Do you have the personal drive to be successful? Because this business isn't going to be successful if I've got one person in here who doesn't have that personal drive. And execution is something we live and die by. Is that the best you could have done that? 
okay, so you've just sent me a CV. Is that the best you could have qualified it? You've just gone and made me a coffee. Is that the best you could have made? <laughs> you've just made a call. Is that the best you could have done? And if you have that commitment to improve, that personal drive to achieve success personally, but you look at execution of everything, everything you do in a day, then you will follow the journey of success. And that's something that we massively believe. In. I mean, we have quotes around the office and it's a big, big thing that, what is success? Success isn't a place or an achievement. Success is a journey that you stay on. And you can fall off success from day to day, but if you have all the right minor uh, things that add up to success, then you can stay on that journey. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an it's an important insight, isn't it? That that it's not a place. I think I think. Look, I I had it for a long time where I used to wake up in the morning like I've not succeeded, and. I, it hit me probably nine months ago. You don't succeed. Look at, look at the top footballers, Ronaldo, Messi. They haven't succeeded. They are successful because yeah. every day they want to improve. And that's massive. You have to want to improve every day. That's for me personally why I disagree with a lot of things in the recruitment industry where it's all about flexible working. It's all about having fun in the office. You go to work to be successful. That's my output or, or my, my vision of it. And this whole working from home culture, it, it doesn't sit with me because I want someone in the office every day improving. I'm not about flats of working. If you don't want to give me eight till six every day, this is not the right business for you. So uh, we, we have a real mindset of we will do whatever it takes to achieve our goals and that's the, the way that ultimately the business has worked. So I think that's one of the things when coming back to the question, did you ever have any doubt you would succeed? The black and white answer is no, because if you have any doubt, I don't think you, you will be successful. So before we finish then, how are you feeling? What, what's sort of on your mind going into the year two then? Obviously still riding this coronavirus, confident that things are going to pick up for you. What, how are you feeling about sort of having looking at thinking about what you've learned and these things how are you feeling about going into year two absolutely look loads loads to look forward to um just just obviously kind of brought on uh, a guy nat recently banged in a deal in his first month um couldn't, couldn't couldn't have asked for for any more um obviously going to grow the team just moved out of germany into the uk expanding the current clients we were bringing on some phenomenal clients now look if i look at my client list in comparison to business, I don't think there's probably anyone in my position or a similar position now that has a client list like I do. And the ability to expand those clients, the ability to really work and deliver over the next year, I see phenomenal things within the business. And we're, we're just getting started now. There's, there's huge things coming. And I look, I look forward to, to bringing on more like-minded people because every hire for us, is a step closer to having that culture in place. So I'm looking forward to adding more like-minded people to us over the next 12 months. Love that. So final words then. So if you could uh, communicate to every single recruiter out there, they'd listen to your advice, they'd take it on, they'd implement it. What would uh, Kieran Kenny say to uh, the recruitment world? I think if you want to be the best, you have to commit, you have to have huge goals, never settle for second best. For me, recruitment is an all or nothing industry. And if you can't give it 110%, 
it's not for you if you can it's by far the most rewarding job you can take i love that karen it's been a pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for uh, having me thank you so much for listening to the podcast i really want to ensure this podcast remains valuable and relevant for all of you if you have topics or questions you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. Best place to get me is on LinkedIn. Just search Hishimazoos and drop me a message. I would love to hear from you. Finally, if you have two minutes, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave an honest review for the podcast. It will simply mean that I can reach more people with this podcast. You can easily leave a review for the podcast by clicking the link in the episode notes or by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash rollercoaster. Thank you again for listening.